Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Spring training is here, and we're bringing out the big guns at the Chronicle. We've got both of our beat writers, Henry Schulman, who covers the Giants, and Susan Slusser, who covers the A's, in here with us for a very special doubleheader podcast, which this is we haven't done this before, so it's pretty exciting here. Oh, yeah, very exciting. I, I, I rarely see Susan um, because, you know, as you know, the Giants and A's travel uh, when one's at home, the other's at, at, on the road, and uh, it's just great to sit here and talk baseball with uh, a colleague I've been working for for a lot of years. Yeah, uh, this is the best time of year and probably when we see each other the most um, during the spring and the Giants and A's play each other a ton and we're actually living in the same area during spring training for six weeks. So this yeah, exactly. is a nice, this podcast is a nice little kickoff for the 2018 spring training. This is the old joke where uh, working for a newspaper was that the only time you saw your writers in the office was when you turned in expenses or you had computer problems. So this is a special treat to be able to have you guys in here for part of the job and we're rolling out these podcasts and what we wanted to do today was um, give our listeners a primer on spring training. And what we usually do for the San Francisco Chronicle is Henry and Susan write their five questions heading into spring training. So we thought we'd give you guys a little preview today um, by going over some of those questions and, uh, you know, kind of whet the appetite for what's to come. Yeah, we'll do, I think we'll do a couple each. Uh, we'll each pick two of the questions that are going to be in our five question stories, which you'll be able to see on uh, sfchronicle.com and uh, we'll talk about them a little bit and uh, maybe you can agree or disagree on whether they are uh, two of the more important questions going into our respective teams camps that sounds good um, you guys want to flip a coin here so we don't ruffle any Giants or A's fans well I think Henry should go first because I think my second question goes straight into our topic following topic uh, topic du jour ah, okay. this is how the sausage is made <laughs> yes. yes it's going to be seamless transitions here Exactly. All right. So uh, should I just go uh, right on into it? Let's do it. Okay. Well, this is actually going to be question four in my five-question story. Uh, and it's how much can the Giants narrow the home run gap? I think Giants fans are well aware that uh, the Giants uh, had the fewest home runs uh, in the majors last year. They hit only 128 home runs. There were a record 6,105 home runs hit last year they also allowed 182 home runs uh which is not it's not i think it was in the top five or six in the majors only because of at&t park but still you have a differential of 54 home runs uh between what they hit and what they gave up and even more significant is uh, and this is a stat that just blows me away on home runs the giants actually allowed 108 more runs to score on homers than they than they scored themselves so uh, you know, basically it meant that uh, for, for every uh, two, uh, single home run that the Giants hit on average, uh, they gave up a two-run homer, which means that they didn't pitch well. There were guys on base when they gave up homers. And I think that nobody really expects the Giants to uh, catch the other teams in power uh, going into the season. I think that's a lot to ask, even with the ad additions of a couple of guys 
who can hit the ball out of the park in Evan Longoria and Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, but the, the, the question is basically uh, whether they can, how and whether they can narrow that gap some. And really, if, if the Giants want to have any shot at uh, the playoffs or really even a winning season, that story is going to have to just sort of flip uh, completely in 2018. And it's really going to be about uh, boosting home runs and eliminating home runs given up. The A's are interesting this spring because um, really, you know, you've got your kind of classic going into the spring questions. Like, you know, everybody never, you know, wants to know who's going to be the fifth starter, uh, who's going to be the final guy in the bullpen. The A's really are just focused so much on their young guys and their young core. To me, this is my number two question. Um, who's going to be the most important youngster that's coming up this year? And when might we see him? So the guy everyone's going to be watching the most during spring training is AJ Puck. He's a six foot seven left-hander. He throws hard. He was the A's top pick, number six overall in 2016. He's coming soon. It could be this year. It could be as soon as June, um, depending on what's going on with the rest of the rotation and how well he's doing in the minor leagues. But this is the guy. If anyone's making a trip to spring training, you're going to want to try to schedule um, uh, whatever day he's pitching. That's when you're going to want to be at the ballpark because he's special talent. 184 strikeouts in 125 innings last year. This is the kind of guy that um, we were talking about when when uh, the big three were at this stage in their careers, Sonny Gray, Rich Harden, he's that kind of potentially impact, you know, all-star type player down the line. So he's the one to watch. All right. And before I go into my next question, I will say that uh, although it's spelled a little differently, uh, Puck is intriguing to me because that's one of my like probably top three Shakespearean characters. <laughs> so spelled uh, I'm going to follow his his career and hope he hopefully he has some really nice midsummer night's dreams well in baseball um the poor aj problem his he has is his name is spelled p-u-k so he gets a, called aj puke everywhere he goes which well is the not... giants had a catcher that people called aj puke uh, for one year about uh, 14 years ago but we're not going to talk about that today i'm going to go into another one of my questions uh this will actually be number three on my list of five questions uh, is the rotation strong enough and uh, this is one of those uh, strange things that could really only happen this year uh, right now, the Giants have three established starters going into spring training, Madison Bumgarner, Johnny Cueto, and uh, Jeff Samarja. And uh, they are going into spring training saying right now that they're going to have four younger pitchers, less least experienced pitchers, uh, vie for the final two rotation spots. And that's Chris Stratton, who came up as a rookie last year, did such a great job. Uh, Ty Block, uh, Andrew Suarez, uh, who's a left-hander out of the University of Miami, and uh, Tyler Beatty, who's... You know, his career took a little bit of a, a detour through injury last year. And, uh, you know, my question is, are, are the Giants really going to go into the season with two of those four guys uh, making up uh, 40% of the rotation? That is so un-Giants. I mean, the Giants, one thing they just never leave to chance is their rotation. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, I talk about in the story is that even though Bobby Evans says that at some point you have to trust your system, we have such an unusual uh, situation in the labor market this year where there's so many free agents who are out of work. Uh, there are a lot of pitchers among them, and I'm not talking about the big guys like Darvish and Arietta, uh, but s- some guys who could be back-end starters. And, and I have to think that the Giants are uh, going to be fairly active in trying to get one of these guys, take a little bit of pressure off the, the younger guys from their system. 
Well, um, as it turns out, maybe you would have been better transitioned to our next topic. Um, but uh, speaking about the whole labor market and the free agents, um, everybody probably noticed that Brandon Moss, who's back with the A's, um, had some interesting things to say the other day uh, about the the number of free agents who are still out there and said that this was really on the players, which is he's the first player to come out and say that the maybe the Players Association in the last CBA kind of um, – put the, everybody in this situation that they're currently in. But my number five question is Brandon Moss. What are the A's going to do with him? They He's got a guaranteed $5 million coming. So you would think, okay, he's definitely going to be on the team. You look at the roster and there's absolutely no spot for him. It really just doesn't make sense. So do they try to move him? Do they try to shoehorn him on? Do they just wait and keep him as like injury insurance? He's a wonderful guy, obviously was a part of all three of those A's playoff teams in the last few years. Um, really beloved. Um, so it's, it's going to be, that's going to be maybe their top question that does not involve a young player, but the A's are in a situation now where they're going to go young first rather than old. So as happy as we all are to see Brandon Moss back, I couldn't guarantee you that he's going to be on the opening day roster. That's interesting because I'm going to put my uh, money on the one of Henry's questions having to deal with the age of the team as well. You're going to have to read the story. That's going to, The story will be out uh, just before the, the team's report. Uh, the stories, I should say, because Susan and I have both done a five-question story. So uh, if you want to see if Janie is right about that, uh, you're going to have to... Look on sfchronicle.com or wait till the paper comes to your doorstep. Are the Giants old? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. It's a, it's it's a little a bit of a contrast with yeah. the team on the other side. Let's put it this way. They wanted to give me a uniform. <laughs> Let's talk about another contrast on both sides. And this is going to go right into our labor uh, uh woes, strife, whatever you want to call it, that's going on in Major League Baseball right now. Um the we Henry and I talked about this extensively in some of our previous uh, podcasts is that uh, this was such a weird off season free agent market. It was um, slow to develop with Giancarlo Stanton and Shohei Otani, and we thought it'd pick up after that, and it didn't. Um, we've seen teams make trades to address uh, some of their um, openings or concerns, and now we have a free agent market that still, I believe, numbers 100. Um, we have agents upset, a player's union that's upset, um, and what it traces back to um, are these big spending teams, uh, traditionally, the Yankees, maybe the Giants, um, not wanting to go over the luxury tax line, hundred and I think it's at $197 million right now. The Giants are right around there. Um, the A's are not near there, Jane. No, (laughs) but it's the fascinating because, you know, we'll, we'll get into this right now is that this is what the A's have been doing year after year. It's it's funny because, you know, everybody's trying to point fingers at teams for not spending money and the A's are like, "Hmm, can't point any fingers at us because this is how we always do it. So, um, I talked to Billy Bean about it and he said, yeah, this is the scenario for us doesn't really change. You know, we're careful with our money. We spend what we have every year. Um, so we've, you know, it's based on their revenue, which, uh, until they get a new ballpark is limited. So this is the, this is what the A's do year after year after year. But, um, the luxury tax is certainly one thing that, that Bean feels is contributing to this slow labor market, but also the, the success of the Astros, the success of the Cubs going back a few years, the success of the Royals, everybody going young and with guys from their own system, uh, which is also the A's have been going through this rebuild themselves, which was certainly announced well before this this current slow labor market 
Uh, and um, yeah, they're going that way too. And, and a lot of other teams are joining them. That's that's the wave of the future. It's it's the kids, young ch- young and cheap. I think it extends maybe even beyond baseball. <laughs> uh, the Giants' situation is fascinating this year. Uh, they made a conscious decision as we look back now. They made a conscious decision that they were going to fix their issues via trade rather than free agency. Uh, and really, it it would be giving them too much credit to say that they foresaw a, a free agent market that was still going to be unsettled as we go into spring training. I, I really don't think that has anything to do with it at all. Now we can look back at it after the, the trades for Longoria, McCutcheon, and the trading away of Matt Moore have happened. And clearly what their strategy was it was to um, get the players they need while also getting rid of money uh, so that their acquisitions would be about as revenue neutral as they could get. Well, they lost $9 million in salary uh, when they traded more. They uh, picked up uh, about $2.5 million by including uh, Denard Span in the uh, – in the deal for Longoria. They got some money back in the deal for McCutcheon. So the Giants were able to fill needs and reshape their roster um, and still stay under the $197 million luxury tax threshold, which they're right at about right now. Um, the only free agent they've signed of any significance is uh, the is Austin Jackson to play center field, and that's just peanuts, of like $5, 6000000 million. They re-signed uh, Nick Hundley for, I think, a million-something. Um, so, but the, but the, uh, the benefit for the Giants, and I think I would consider this a happy accident more than anything, is that by trading to rebuild their team, they have not had to rely on these free agents who are holding out to see if they can get more money. I mean, the Giants obviously could have gotten some of these guys by going out and offering what free agents used to get, but I don't think they would have done that. So the Giants really can sit back and just sort of watch the other teams scramble to fill significant needs. And going back to my, you know, like starter question, now now the, the market is just so much tilted toward the teams, uh, it, the Giants probably can find a back-end type starter with for a million, for two million, something like that, uh, two and a half million. Um, and uh, they really, ha- it's the best of all worlds for the Giants this year. What I found interesting is when you started the offseason, um, looking almost ahead, there were free agents on the market, obviously, um, but we started looking ahead at next year as one of the reasons why teams wanted to get under this uh, luxury tax, so-called, so they wouldn't be penalized for mul- being multiple-year offenders. Um, so my question is, how much of how much of all of this strife is going to disappear next year when you have these big name free agents like Bryce Harper that are hitting the market? Are teams going to open, maybe not the A's, but are teams like the Giants going to just open up their checkbooks and hand out these huge contracts again? I think it depends on where teams feel like they are in their cycle of winning. If you're if you feel like you're close to maybe having a window to compete, I think you would open your your pocketbooks pretty big but you know if you're if you're in a division say like the AL West where the Astros look like they could dominate the division for a long time you might be a little less willing to go over the threshold to do something like that you know the Angels obviously spent some money which was unexpected this offseason and got significantly better with with guys like Otani but they they still are not at the threshold I think the threshold is really going to keep some teams from you know going really going all out and signing two or three significant guys I think one thing that's sort of underreported about next year is not just the the class of free agents and not just that teams that stay under this year will only be 
penalized 20 percent uh, instead of 50 percent. But uh, there was only a, the luxury tax threshold only went up a couple million dollars this year. Next year it goes up a lot. It goes up from 197 to 206. That nine million is significant. That will enable teams uh, to to stay under much easier than it was this year. I think from the Giants' perspective, I don't think we can answer the question right now. Uh, it's like I said before, I, I think that uh, a lot is going to depend on how well they play the first three months of the season. Now, the Giants are never going to quote-unquote blow it up the way the Astros did and the way the Cubs did even uh, when their respective new general managers took over. But they could take a step back and uh, they could move some players this, this winter, uh, or I'm sorry, this summer, and uh, if they do that and then realize that really 2019 is not even a realistic expectation for winning, they may not spend as well. Now, I'm a betting man, so uh, not if a betting man. I am a betting man, and I would bet that it's going to go the other way. I really would bet that no matter what happens this summer, uh, I think the Giants will spend uh, because, I mean, they're obviously going into this trying to stay under that, that cap. I think they are looking forward to 2019. I don't think we'll see Bryce Harper or Manny Machado in a, a Giants uniform, but there'll be other free agents as well. Right. Um, we have one more kind of labor-related question for you guys, which is, um, you know, Scott Boris talked to uh, our national baseball writer, John Shea, who was very unhappy. Um, one of the, the uh, he, Boris seemed to take aim at the Giants. Hey, here's a team that's making plenty of money. They've got revenue coming in. They can afford to spend a little bit more. They can go over the luxury tax and field the most competitive team possible. Why take aim at teams like the Giants and Yankees versus, say, the A's that, you know, we're looking at $197 million, The Giants are still spending. The A's payroll hasn't is not as below $60 million, correct? Yeah. And the A's are interesting because, yes, they don't have a new ballpark, so they don't have the stream of revenue. They don't even have the, the media contract that the, and the Giants and have. And are losing revenue sharing now. And, yeah, right. they've, yeah, they've lost half of their revenue sharing to this point, but... This this off season, every team got to pay out of fifty million dollars from the sale of um, Bam Tech, which is a offshoot of MLB Advanced Media, um, and uh, the A's still got about twenty million dollars in revenue sharing. That's seventy million dollars. That's and more right than now, their entire payroll. Right, right their now. payroll right now is hovering around sixty, and I don't think it's going to go much over sixty right. million. I don't anticipate any other uh, major things. So yeah, they. Um, they're being frugal, but you know they are still really um, emphasizing the stadium search, and I think the stadium search is the thing that that's um, that they're focused on. And they have a conscious plan to go young and to rebuild. So why would you go out and spend? You know, they definitely needed a left-handed reliever, but why would you go out and spend ten or twelve million dollars on one re- left-handed reliever? when you don't think that you're going to necessarily contend this year. That's what you have to be in contention to start throwing around that kind of money. Otherwise go young. First of all, I I think Scott Boris has taken aim at some of the, in the past has taken pretty direct aim at uh, the teams that don't spend the money saying, you know, arguing that they're not living within the spirit of the, of revenue sharing and whatnot. But I think the reason he picked on the giants this time was very simple. Uh, he's trying to build a market for JD Martinez. The giants have talked to Boris about JD Martinez. And, uh, this was a concerted effort by Scott to, uh, you know, get, sort of get us to publicly, uh, note that, uh, the giants really can afford JD Martinez, uh, if they really wanted to. One thing Scott Boris is very good at is spending other people's money. That's his job. He's the best at it. There is, I personally don't even have a problem with the way he goes about his business because if I were trying to negotiate a salary with you, Janie, I would hire Boris to do it 
performing. Uh, but I think that's what that was. He really, the team he picks on the most is the Mets. And, and the Mets are a different situation. They're, they're in the biggest market in the country, but they're one of the, like, they're in the middle in terms of spending. Really, that has more to do with the fact that their owner got involved with Bernie Madoff and had to pay out a lot of uh, money uh, to, to victims of the Bernie Madoff scam. But uh, every year, Scott Boris goes off on the Mets, and, and it, he just he comes up with really funny ways to describe how cheap they're being. So the Giants got off easy. <laughs> That's good. But you're right. I mean, and, and let's not forget the fact that his main job is to get his payer, players paid, and that's exactly what he's trying to do. So I, I give him two thumbs up for try, you know, to, to watching out for his players and trying to drum up the market on, on that front. Um, so we, uh, you guys are heading out to spring training soon. Um, my last question that I, or one thing that I want to ask for you guys is, what are you looking most forward to this spring training? It's, uh, you know, it's six weeks where you're pretty much uh, gone uh, away from home. Um, the 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 tra- the set. I love spring training because it's the atmosphere is so different. It's um, for baseball fans. It is, uh, I guess, the best access low key like kind of communal environment I think that there is to go to go hang out and watch a game and just enjoy baseball but for you guys that are now heading into your 30th seasons I'm not exactly sure how many but you know you guys have done this seen this show many times what still gets you excited about going out there well, I think just, you know, seeing different writers who you don't see get to see very often and going out to dinner with some of them and seeing friends that live in the area. And, you know, it's always fun seeing a team in its early stages of the season and how it comes together and players, either minor leaguers who haven't been to camp and maybe this is their first camp. They're always fun to talk to uh, and, and new guys to the team and get to get to know them. Everything it's, it's fresh. You know, there's the whole cliche that columnists, you know, the spring is in the air and the flowers are blooming kind of thing. It really it does feel like that that's there's that freshness feel to spring training that you don't get anywhere else uh number one the autobata pork at carlsbad tavern <laughs> number two the uh, ribs at don and charlie's oh you're asking me you're asking me about baseball um i think it's part part of what susan said uh to me it's uh getting to know some of the prospects and and really early in spring is when we try to do that get to know them do some of the stories on on the prospects who come up because they're going to be shipped out to minor league camp after a while so I like watching them and getting to know them and also uh, it's a time where you can sit down with a player whether it's a player you know or a player you're just meeting for the first time a veteran player and you can sit there on the on the bench and talk to them for 15 or 20 minutes about anything about baseball about what they like to do it's such a laid-back atmosphere that that's that's the time that you get to do that in the regular season everything is so regimented uh it really is i mean you know ba- uh, they, they come to the ballpark at two they get treatment at 215 they go out do early hitting at 230 uh you know then batting stretching batting practice and whatnot you really don't get a chance to talk to them very much and uh it's sort of the relaxed atmosphere and i do apologize for people who have to look at my legs when i wear shorts but i enjoy that whole aspect of it the sunshine the desert and everything like that that sounds great. Well, we're really looking forward to uh, pitchers and catchers and Henry and Susan reporting for duty. Um, keep on, uh, let's see, these five questions heading into spring training. You'll get all five of them, sfchronicle.com and in uh, the actual print, SF San Francisco Chronicle Sporting Green. Um, we will be checking in regularly with both Henry and Susan as they're out at spring training and doing regular podcasts. So hopefully we uh, will you know, fall into this great rhythm. And 
Well, also, I should not uh, forget, um, let us know what you're thinking and things that you'd love to see uh, come up and discuss on the podcast. Um, go ahead and leave us some feedback and uh, follow Susan and Henry on Twitter. At Hank Schulman, at Susan Slusser. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is Horns of Jericho by Lucas Pern and Miloslav Kolar courtesy of the Free Music Archive. This show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more Giants coverage, you can follow Henry on Twitter at Hank Schulman, H-A-N-K-S-C-H-U-L-M-A-N, and me at Janie underscore who, J-A-N-N-Y underscore H-U. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.